morning. If you uh, don't know who I am, I'm Steve. I'm a member of the elder team here at Hall Center Church and a member of the preaching team. And I wanted to remind you as we get started, if you did not get the elements for communion, they're out back. We will be doing communion at the end, toward the end of the sermon. It definitely ties in. Also want to echo what Jeff said earlier, Worship and Connect is tonight at 7. Uh, come sing, pray, join with us. It should be a great time. We're down a couple elders. Mark's in Florida. John's in Germany. And I, Gary's sick. Our pets' heads are falling off. Um, we are in the book of Ephesians. Hope to see you tonight. <laughs> what happened? Oh! Update, John will be here tonight. <laughs> oh, he won't? <laughs> Guess what? John might as well be in Germany. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right, we are in the book of Ephesians. And I want, I, boy, I want to I get into this quickly if I can. Um, and, and, and as I was prepping for this passage, um, I, I love having David as a partner as we, as we teach through this. I got to... Um, the verse is 10 through 20, and I'm like, David, bro, that is way too much. And so we split it out, and he covered the first few verses last week. He did a fantastic job. I want to remind you what he said. When we don't understand the war, we might shoot the wrong target and might not even take up arms. And his main point last week is that Satan and his fallen hordes seek to keep us trusting in anything that is not our creator. And we need to make sure that we know that that's true. And David talked about the two extremes. You can go all the way over here and, and act like there's no spiritual warfare going on. And you can go over here and say everything, everything that happens is spiritual warfare, your last speeding ticket or whatever. And so it's important to be balanced. It's important to be led by the Spirit. And so Paul has told us that there is a battle going on. And it's not with flesh and blood. And so I've titled today's sermon, Fight This Way. You remember the sermon a little while ago, Walk This Way, to which Gary and I had a big argument on which version of the song was better. Um, we're working on reconciling. But we're in Ephesians 6, 14 through 20. And if you would, if you've got your Bibles, go there. We will have the, the, the scripture up here but um, open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. And by way of getting into this, as I want to ask if you've ever shown up somewhere completely wearing the wrong thing. Might have to struggle a little bit for it. I didn't. Um, how many people in this room would call themselves a child of the 80s. Let's see them. Yeah, okay. Let me say a third of the room. And well, I want to say something. Um, in the 80s, uh, shorts were shorts. <laughs> and those that are in the 80s, or if you ever saw any of my pictures as a kid, you would see, wow, 
that's a lot of legs, Steve. Um, and, and, th and that's true. And so today they're down to here and even the ones David's wearing, what are the, they should be called longs. In any, in any case, as a teenager, I had a bunch of these shorts and it was summertime. My parents were always looking for John and I to do something productive with our lives in summertime. <sighs> and there weren't any video games yet. And so we were probably more annoying than anything. And, and so my mother was good friends with a woman across the street who's married a Moulton. And those of you that know the farming world out in Buxton. And she, this neighbor was married to Ken Moulton who ran the Moulton farm up by Buxton Elementary. And it was like, what a great idea they had as they were having tea. Steve's not doing anything Saturday. He can help hay. And you'd see the connection of the pieces of my story. So I got up early. I'm like, I'm strong. I can do this. And I put my little shorts on and a T-shirt. And my parents dropped me off at the Moulton Farm. And I walked up. And they all went, oh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, let's go. And we went. And it was about 20 minutes later. My legs are bleeding. My arms are all scraped up. I am literally blood running down because I'm hauling these bales of hay. And so Ken took pity on me, drove me all the way home to get changed and come back because it was so rough. I was wearing the complete wrong thing for the mission at hand was wearing the complete wrong thing to complete the mission at hand. And so that's just an intro, a lead-in to um, today's point. Natural weapons can't be used against supernatural enemies. Your armor is useless. You need God. Natural weapons can't be used against supernatural enemies we first have to acknowledge there are supernatural enemies. David did a great job with that last week. Today, Paul's going to show us what we need for armor. And so as Paul finishes up his letter, we're getting toward the end to the church that he started in Ephesus. He's writing this from jail. This guidance is how he leaves them. This is how he ends his letter to this church. And so I want to take a look at verses 10 through 13 that David covered last week as we get into um, today's passage. So let's look at verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that verse 12, we look at and we're like, really? Yeah, really. There is a lot going on in governments and systems. Verse 13, therefore, if that's true, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all 
to stand firm. And stand firm, keep that in your head. It's going to guide our thinking today. But Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. And he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but boy, do we act like it. Don't we? When someone gets us upset, we're upset at them. We don't look at what's going on. We don't, we don't immediately go to our spiritual resources. We almost always answer with just what we've got with our armor. And so Paul is truly wants us to make sure we understand that there is always something you can't see influencing what you can see. I believe that's very much what he's saying in verse 12. There is always something you can't see influencing what you can see. Okay, so we're going to dive right in to the armor of God, verse 14. Stand. And I, and I need to make sure you hear this. There is plenty of language in Scripture for us to attack, for us to... Paul's over and over here, stand, stand, stand firm. And we're going to, and so hang on to that. He says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And so the belt, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each individual thing. Um, there's some really great sermons online if you want to see people bust out every single one of them. We're going to try and, and, and get through this and, and focus on what it is Paul's telling us to put on, in this case, the belt of truth. The belt holds everything together, especially when we're talking about armor. But when he says the belt of truth, what's he referring to? And a lot of the older commentators say this is the Bible. We're talking about the truth believed in, revealed in scriptures, and they're correct as far as they go. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free in John 8. Later, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so God's word is absolutely truth. Paul, even in this book, in chapter 4, verse 21, the truth that is in Jesus. There is objective, spiritual truth in Jesus, the word, and his scriptures. Truth about God, truth about ourselves, truth about history, truth about the future. And without it, we don't have a chance. That's why Paul starts. Without truth, none of the, none of the rest of it matters. We don't have a chance in the spiritual battles that come our way without truth. But it doesn't just include God's word. Because you'll see that God's word is actually one of our final pieces of armor. But many also believe that Paul is indicating that our character be one of truth. Hmm. And so there's a challenge here that we be genuine people. That we're not about lies, even small ones, but we're genuine, truth-based people. And so truthfulness is always necessary for victory, along with a knowledge that comes with that, but it doesn't come easily to us. We have to work. We have to work at being genuine people because we're fallen. We have to work at being people that are constantly, always honest, always seeking the truth. 
And so always be asking two questions. Always, like always be asking two questions. Is it true? Simple question. Is it true? Is what I'm saying true? Is what I'm hearing true? Is what's being preached from the pulpit true? Is what I'm reading true? Is what I heard someone say true? We need to always be, because we're to be about truth. And then the second question, am I being true? Is what I'm saying genuine? Is what I'm saying honest? Is what I'm saying true? And so what I've got with each of these elements of armor is I've got what is part of God's armor, and then I like to compare it with our armor, okay? The jeans and sweatshirt for haying as opposed to shorty shorts and a t-shirt. This is how we want to look at these things. So in the case of truth, God's armor is truth. What do we constantly rely on? Emotion. We let emotion drive us. We get upset, we get sad, we get happy, we get excited. We're driven that way. Often we'll let experience drive us. Either our experience or someone else's. We're like, well, it worked for them. We don't test for its truth. And then we've just got our opinions. And our opinions, boy, our opinions. Boy, our opinions. Oof. However we might have formed our opinions, we follow them as opposed to truth. And you're going to hear me say this a few times. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. Let's keep going in verse 14. We've got the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And... In listening to folks talk about this, I heard people talk about, well, your life needs to be, and this speaker talked about a boat that's, when it's, when it's, when it's rolled over um, in the spring when you raise, there's always something creepy coming out of there. You always want to live like your boat is upright, not turned over, and I, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> And so I need you to hear me. When you read this, please don't make it about your behavior. Please. The breastplate of righteousness is God's righteousness given to those who believe in Jesus. It's not something we generate on our own. This is not a challenge to behave better. This is a challenge to embrace Christ. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds in the ESV says are like a polluted garment. Not a huge fan. I like the filthy rags of the NIV and you all remember that. And the filthy rags is just one of the most, anyway, it's really bad. Filthy rags make a useless breastplate and your righteous deeds don't suffice. Paul says in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, and, he, and he's quoting some of the Old Testament, as is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And in the passage, worthless literally means rotten. 
And then you've got the verse you're all very familiar with in verse 23. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is a righteousness from God. And if you're interested and you're taking notes and you want something to go back and get extra credit for later, go to Isaiah 59. Um, Isaiah 59, 17 tells us that God puts on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head as he comes out to destroy his enemies. And so here in Ephesians, he gives us the armor, breastplate of righteousness. Paul describes his own experience of receiving God's righteousness in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, and you know this verse. And Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, in verse 9, and be found in him. Listen to Paul say this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or behaving or whatever, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so when you see the breastplate of righteousness, Paul is saying you have got to own the fact that you, because of what Jesus did for you, shine like the sun. You are clean, you are completely righteous. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus because Jesus' blood covers you. It cleanses you from all unrighteousness. This is not a challenge to behave better. This is a challenge to own Christ, to put on Christ. And we have it backwards, even in the church, so much that let's clean up and then maybe Jesus can do something with us. No, let Jesus own you and see what he can do. And so, again, the shorty shorts versus the jeans. We've got the righteousness from God. What's our armor look like? Our armor looks like morality. We love morality. We love in, to be indignant about other people's behavior. We need a list. But the righteousness that God gives us is so different from our righteousness. Our righteousness does. It looks like morality. We focus on behavior. We focus on being good. And it's, oftenly, it's often completely without Christ. And we just looked at what the Bible says about our righteous deeds. The righteousness from God changes us, and our behavior changes as a result. It isn't the starting point. It's the ending point. When we and our behavior are the starting point, when we believe that we have any righteousness of our own, we begin to depend on ourselves. And we look for others to be like us as opposed to be like Jesus. And independence from God is not a good place to be, separate from the righteousness that he gives, and disobedience naturally is the result. And we stop loving God and loving others when we think it's about us. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. It's verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, oh boy, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so there's a spiritual lesson here. It's pretty clear. It's the gospel of peace, the peace that comes to us in and through the gospel. 
and makes us able to stand firm. The shoes are a pretty key part of being able to stand firm. And the Bible presents two aspects of this peace. First, it's peace with God. Probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not we had peace, not we will have peace. We have peace with God. And that solid awareness that we are reconciled to God. Do you, are you hearing me? When Paul says, plant your feet and plant it in the reality that you have peace with God. You are not at war with God. God loves you with an everlasting love because of what Jesus did. And you can plant your feet on that and it will never move. And if you do not know what peace with God is like, please come see me. Ask someone here that can help. Would love to walk you through that. And this is the point. When our feet are planted in this peace, we can stand firm. And so not only do we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. In the upper room, final night of Jesus' ministry on earth, this is what he said to his disciples and indeed to each and every one of you. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have Jesus' peace? Well, Paul says we can. He gives us his personal peace. It was the peace that he knew when he lay in a boat in the middle of a storming sea. And Peter goes, don't you care? We're going to die. Remember that in Matthew 8? It's the peace which completely unnerved Pilate as Jesus is standing in front of him, ready to be judged. It's from above. And so those who first have peace with God and subsequently the peace of God on their feet are powerful soldiers. No matter what the enemy throws, they hold their ground. They're ready. They're ready. And so let's compare readiness that comes from peace with our armor. When we compare the readiness that Paul's describing with our armor, we find, well, we panic. Mm. The complete opposite of peace. We worry. If you haven't added this word to your lexicon, add it now. We awfulize situations. We think something is going to be as awful as it possibly can be. It's called worrying. We dwell on the worst that can happen. And many times we'll just run from challenging situations instead of holding our ground. If we're Christians, we have peace with God because of the work of Christ. But the tragic and weird irony is that many of us do not have the peace of God because we pushed it away through neglect or rebellion. And as a result, we find ourselves not being able to stand firm when the going gets tough. We panic, we worry, sometimes we run. And those around us who are doing their best to trust in God often find us a burden rather than a blessing. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. And if the peace of God is far from you, Paul gives us very specific instruction in Philippians 4. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Like, right. But in everything, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And make no mistake, Paul's already said, there's a battle going on. It's acknowledged here. Satan is going to send all kinds of flaming arrows our way, and the answer is faith. In 1 John 5, 4, the Apostle John says, and this, and, and this is just a, it's one of those really small, pointed statements that is so huge. John says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John says, our faith has overcome the world. We look at this picture too small. And so why is our faith what overcomes the world? Is because faith puts us into union with God, the creator of the universe. Faith is not just belief. It is belief plus trust. It is resting in the person of God and his word to us, and there's no flaming arrows Satan can send our way when we are resting in that. And so the picture in your head, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's the two towers battle where they send the arrows. If you're whatever, there's just all kinds of different cinematic examples of this where people put their shields up. Braveheart. Show arrows raining down, but we raise our shield of faith and they don't harm us. The shield is from God. We praise him for it, and we thank him for it. Comparing God's armor to ours, whatever shield we think we might have on our own, it won't protect us from Satan's attacks. What do we like? We chase pleasure, either through entertainment or pornography or whatever. It's an epidemic these days and has been for a long time. We always find ourselves wanting more and chase it, and that leads to envy, and it leads to jealousy. And without faith, without this pure trust in God, what he's done and what he will do, we put our trust in something temporary. And when we put our trust in something temporary, the end is only despair. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. And Paul is going to present the helmet as a metaphor for salvation. And again, if you want to go to Isaiah 59 and see how the helmet of salvation is referenced there, it's great. Paul changes the image here. In Isaiah, God's helmet of salvation is what God does. In Ephesians, it's what he gives. And so the helmet of salvation is the assurance of salvation and the resulting confidence it brings. Hear me. See if this is true. A helmet is a confidence builder. Think of an example where a helmet is a confidence builder. You motorcycle riders, is a helmet a confidence builder? Maybe. 
going to get on a mountain bike, you should probably have one on. Put a football helmet on an eight-year-old and they turn into a 60-pound kamikaze, right? They do once they realize that you can just run through people until they find somebody bigger than them. In any case, a good helmet is valid ground for confidence. It offers great protection. This was especially true in ancient war when there was swords and arrows and javelins and all kinds of things, axes, hacking and chopping. You wanted a good helmet. And so the helmet enabled a soldier to stand with confidence where otherwise they would have been long gone. And we sang the song to open today's service, and I love it, Glorious Day. That is probably my favorite song of anything we sing here. If you check out the YouTube video for it, it's so great. That was where I first heard it years ago. I was so excited to see it in the playlist today. Could you feel the confidence when we all sang together and I ran out of that grave? And the bridge to that song, I needed rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Our salvation should give us a ridiculous amount of confidence in this world and against Satan. So let's compare armors again. Salvation against our armor. Without God's salvation, we are without hope. And why do I say that? Because if you think you can save yourself, if you think there's a mechanism by which your goodness can save you, you are without hope. And you will find pessimism. And you will find uncertainty. There is no salvation outside of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. And salvation is the helmet that gives us all kinds of confidence. Continuing on, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, wait, didn't we already hit the Word of God? When we hit truth at the beginning, we did. Paul calls it out here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I want you, if you have your Bibles open and you're looking and you can see the list, I want you to realize at this point that this is the only weapon that has an offensive use. And you would say, well, you could take your helmet off and beat somebody with it. Yeah, I'm, you get the point. This is the only weapon that's offensively oriented. All the rest are defense. Why? Because what is Paul's point? Paul's point is, stand firm. Stand firm. David last week talked about Jesus' temptation in the desert. Remember, if Jesus acknowledged Satan's authority over parts of what was going on in this earth. But at that same, as he did that, at each point, Jesus refuted Satan with God's word. Three times from the book of Deuteronomy, we studied a little bit ago. 
And so if Jesus, God made man, used God's word to refute Satan, how do we think we are going to stand firm by opening God's word for 32 minutes on Sunday morning? We need to read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. We need to study it. Steve, I've heard that all in my life. and was sure, but this is Paul saying, put on the word of God. Put it on. It's your sword. It's the only thing you've got for offense. And so how does this work? Steve, read it, meditate, memorize, study. That's a lot. Well, listen, God's word reveals God's mind. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And God's mind can't be subject to sin. And so if we fill our hearts and our minds with God's word, sin and temptation aren't going to dominate us. And when we ignore God's word, we'll find that it can. We struggle with this, guys. We do. And instead of turning to God's word to help us stand firm, here's what we spend our time with. Comparing armors. God's word. How much time did you spend in social media this week? And I don't want to judge. Okay, I'm judging. How much time did you spend in, our, in the culture, whether it's Netflix or TV or whatever, streaming service or podcasts or news stations? It's just so, we live in a world, can you imagine 2,000 years ago where there really was nothing except if you went into town and talked to somebody and got word that way or went to a meeting, you could, there was nothing for you to sit in your house and scroll through reams and reams and reams and reams of information on this little thing in your hand. And what that does is that focuses and that shapes our understanding. And the Bible says to lean not on your understanding because your understanding is often affected by what you spend your time with. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. And so... All right, so we've got a couple things that I've wanted you to kind of pull out that you might not have heard. I'm sure you've, heard, if you've been around church for long, you've heard sermons on the armor of God. First, the sword, only offensive weapon. The second thing to note um, is we're done. I mean, there's no other. And so what about our backs? There's nothing covering our back here. And so... There's all kinds of different theories and whatnot on it. I'm going to tell you why I believe there's nothing covering our backs because none of us is doing this alone. And we have to make sure when we read the letter of Ephesians, it is Paul's letter to the church he started. When we read it, we tend to think 
only of ourselves, and, in, and indeed much of today's sermon is focused on you and, and, and you processing this information, but it was never meant to be solo. Without a doubt, Paul wants us to have each other's backs. And we've all got our shields, and the shields that Paul's referring to are about four feet high, and you can stand behind it or raise it over your head, and you make a circle, and you don't need to worry about your back. I'd love to spend a lot more time on this. You dig into it. I speak as to wise men and women. You judge what I say. But let's look at what Paul says next in verse 18. He's done with the armor of God. And you can make the case, well, there's one more piece of armor. It's prayer. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But verse 18, Paul goes right into, from the sword of the Spirit, God's word, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Look at how this is all tied together. Keep alert with all perseverance. Doing what? Making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to stand firm with the armor of God to be alert and pray for each other. If we're doing that, Satan hasn't got a chance. He has not got a chance if we're doing this together. And then Paul asked for prayer for himself in verse 19, and also for me. And I love that Paul's in prison, and this is what he prays for. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm in prison, I'm praying for you to get me out. Go see the judge. Go do whatever. He doesn't. He says, I'm in prison and here's what I'm praying. Yeah, drive your car through, whatever. Get me free. All I want to do is get free. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And we might dig into that a little bit next week. He asks for words to be given to him to help tell others about Jesus. He asked for prayer to help him share the gospel, and he's in prison. And he continues in verse 20, that gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. And again, don't pray that I'm freed. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. Okay. So hope that as we've gone through this, you've been able to take a fresh set of eyes and take a look at what Paul is challenging us to clothe ourselves with. What he's asking us to put on. And as we approach this time in our service, I want to hit communion today with Romans 13, 14, the very beginning, because Paul is simply expounding what he said in Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that put on, um, commentators have talked forever, but John Wesley described put on as a strong and beautiful expression for the most intimate union with God and being clothed with all the graces which were in him. And so what Paul has done today has told us what putting on the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. What it looks like. As we'll read a verse like Romans 13, 14, 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Got it. And Paul just said, okay, here's what it looks like. It looks like truth. It looks like righteousness, God's righteousness, acknowledged and owned in your life. It looks like readiness that comes from a peace that passes understanding, a gospel peace. It looks like faith, trusting in what God has done. It looks like salvation, an acknowledgement and a confidence in the fact that we ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, and putting on God's word. Every single one of these pieces of armor that Paul has shared have their source in Jesus. And as Jesus went to the cross, he told us that we would need to constantly remember, to be constantly reminded of what he's done for us and what it means to our life. None of the armor of God has any strength, has any power, has any ability to help us stand fast unless Christ is the source of it. And so we've got to constantly be reminded of that. And so as we do that today, I want us to take a moment to think about our armor. And as we went through that list of things, our armor compared to God's armor, I want us to examine ourselves. In the quintessential passage from Paul on the sacrament of communion, he says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And if you want to read the other portions of 1 Corinthians 11 around communion, Paul even says that the unexamined heart that takes communion inappropriately can make you sick and some have died. You look at that and you're like, what are you talking about, Paul? It's in God's word. And Paul's really trying to make sure that as we approach communion, as we approach this incredibly important sacrament that we do together that points to Christ, we need to make sure that our hearts are in a place where we're acknowledging him, where we're acknowledging his will in our lives, and that we're not, we're not being owned by so many of these things that we've looked at earlier. And so... Go ahead and get your uh, element ready, but I want us I want us to to bow our heads and close our eyes and I, and I'm going to I'm going to read through the things that make up our armor. And as I read through them, I want you to think about those things in your armor that you haven't covered with God's armor. So with our heads bowed, let's, let's just think. We've been challenged to be all about the truth. How much of your life is driven by emotion? How much of your life is driven by, well, maybe you've had success somewhere, so now you think you know everything? Are your opinions of supreme importance to you more so than the truth of God's word? Are you someone that really, really, really focuses on people's behavior as opposed to their relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you in a place where 
you really think you've got this life thing figured out and don't really need Jesus, that's, not a, that's a place to examine today. Are there willful areas of disobedience in your life that you know you have got to chase and put God's armor on over? Are you someone that really, really tends to panic, tends to worry, tends to run from difficult situations? The gospel of peace gives us a readiness. And so as you think through that list, something that you need to give to God to say, listen, yes, I'm doing this in my own strength. I'm fighting this hard. I know it's work, and I know you've already won the battle for me. I need to put your armor on. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we, when we see the armor that you've laid out for us in Scripture, it looks so simple. Truth, righteousness, readiness. Ah, oh, we want that. And we confess that we're so often not ready, so often not standing firm against the arrows and attacks of Satan. And so as we together as a body today remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, may that drive us to chase you further. May that drive us to, to put the armor on that will help us fight these battles. And so as we continue to consider what we can evaluate in our lives, for many, pleasure is a God. I always need comfort. I always want to feel good. And as such, we're very envious. And as such, we never find ourselves in a place of confidence, but one of despair. Are you marked by pessimism? in your life or your job or your relationships or hopelessness or uncertainty. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus going to the cross and calling you out of that grave is a thing to chase. And lastly, we talked about God's word. If your life is on social media, if your life is watching things that are meaningless, and that is all guiding your brain toward a world that is farther from God's word every, every, every day. That's something to examine yourself about. And if you know you're leaning on your own understanding, today's the day to chase God's word harder and harder each and every day. Verse 25 of that same passage, in the same way also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the following verse 
Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here's what we just did together. Here's what we just did together with a weird piece of some cracker and some grape juice. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Ooh. And so if the singers and the musicians want to come up, we're going to close with the song, Every Giant Will Fall. And it's a song that acknowledges that when we win battles, we don't win battles. God wins battles. Our armor stinks. We need God's armor. The song says, no greater name, no higher name, no stronger name than Jesus. You overcame, broke every chain, forever reign, King Jesus. Please stand and let's sing.